Today on In Spirit and Truth with Pastor J.D. Farag. This is perhaps amongst the most important of the qualifications when it comes to those who serve in leadership. We had an acronym on the mainland, and I, please, I don't want to offend anybody, but it's the acronym FAT. Okay, just wait, just bear with me. (laughs) The F is for faithful, the A is for available, and the T is for teachable. Those are the three things that we need to look for when we look for people to serve in positions of leadership. They have to be faithful. You're listening to In Spirit and Truth, the radio ministry of Pastor J.D. Farag of Calvary Chapel, Kariohe. Pastor J.D. is currently teaching through the book of Ezra. As Pastor J.D. continues his teaching series through the book of Ezra, he'll be challenging us to remain faithful in ministry, to be more available to do the work of the Lord, and lastly, to remain teachable. Too often, people want to jump into a leadership or ministry position, yet they don't have these qualities that the Lord looks for in a servant. Now, be sure to stay with us after today's message to hear how you can get your own copy of this broadcast. Subscribe to the In Spirit and Truth podcast or download the In Spirit and Truth iPhone or Android mobile app. Now, here's Pastor J.D. in Ezra chapter 2 with today's edition of In Spirit and Truth. Now, these are the people of the province who came back from the captivity of those who had been carried away, whom Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, had carried away to Babylon, and who returned to Jerusalem and Judah, everyone to his own city. All right, I just wanted to take verse 1 by itself initially for a reason, and that reason is is that actually all the way from verse 1 through to verse 35, we have listed first, and this is interesting, the names of all the families, those who returned by their families to Jerusalem. Then from verse 36 through verse 39, we have the list of the priests, And then in verse 41, we have the worship team, (laughs) the singers. And then in verse 42, we have what are known as the Nephanim, not to be confused with the Nephilim in Genesis chapter 6. We'll uh, look more into that here when we get to that part of the chapter. Now, why do I want to point this out? Because in this outline, we have what I think is an important principle in that it speaks to the paramount importance of the family. It's for this reason, I think, that we have listed first, and really predominantly the better part of the chapter, the mention of first, not the priests, the families. Why? Because of the importance of the family. I would suggest that The family is so important, it actually becomes a litmus test, as it were, when it comes to the qualifications of those who serve in positions of leadership, and especially as it relates to the qualifications of an elder, who we're told must have their house in order if they are to serve in leadership, This is in Titus, the first chapter, verses 6 through 9. says, an elder must be blameless, not sinless, blameless. And there's a difference. 
faithful to his wife. Some translations render that a husband of one wife. And there have been many who have misinterpreted that to mean that a guy who serves in leadership can never be divorced. And that's not what it means. It's better translated and better understood a one-woman man, faithful to his wife, and a man whose children believe and are not open to the charge of being wild and disobedient. Since an overseer manages God's household, he must be blameless, not overbearing, not quick-tempered, not given to drunkenness. There's another controversial verse of scripture that I'm not going to take the time to get into tonight. We've talked about that in times past. Being a drunk, a drunkard is a sin. Not violent, not pursuing dishonest gain. Rather, he must be hospitable, one who loves what is good, who is self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firmly to the trustworthy message as it has been taught so that he can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. Did you notice something here? The very first thing before all of these other things on the list, being not being overbearing, not being quick-tempered, not being a drunkard, not being violent, not pursuing dishonest gain, before all of that, what is on the list? Faithful to his wife as a husband and who has children that are in order, that are obedient and not open to the charge of being wild and disobedient. There's another uh, passage in 1 Timothy chapter 3 verses 1 through 7 that says, Paul writing to Timothy as a pastor, by the way, he says, here is a trustworthy saying. Whoever aspires to be an overseer desires a noble task. That's a good thing. Now, the overseer is to be above reproach. Here it is. Faithful to his wife, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable. Now, able to teach would be better understood as teachable. Better said, teachable. In other words, if you don't have that gift of teaching, that doesn't mean you can't be an elder. It's better understood as an elder must be teachable. This is perhaps amongst the most important of the qualifications when it comes to those who serve in leadership. We had an acronym on the mainland, and I please, I don't want to offend anybody, but it's the acronym FAT. Okay, just wait, just bear with me. The F is for faithful, the A is for available, and the T is for teachable. Those are the three things that we need to look for when we look for people to serve in positions of leadership. They have to be faithful. They have to be available. And it's been said that God doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies the called. And all we have to do is bring to Him and offer Him our availability. Lord, do with me as you will, as you please. I am at your service. And so teach able, teachable. And here it is again, verse 3, not given to drunkenness, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome. In other words, not a fighter. 
Someone who loves a good fight is usually not a good person to put in leadership. Not a lover of money. He must manage, in verse 4, here it is, his own family well and see that his children obey him and he must do so in a manner worthy of full respect. Now in verse 5, you see that it's parenthetical. We have these parentheses here because it wasn't in the original manuscript. It was added by the translators. And for good reason, and understandably so, because we're told, if anyone does not know how to manage his own family, how can he take care of God's church? Now think about that. And that's the why behind the what, if you will, when it comes to the qualifications of those who serve in leadership positions, and certainly as an elder, but more importantly, as a pastor. These are known as the pastoral epistles of Titus and Timothy. He, verse 6, must not be a recent convert, and here's why. He may become conceited and fall under the same judgment as the devil. He must also have a good reputation with outsiders, so that he will not fall into disgrace and into the devil's trap. Here again, the reason why I believe it is that we have listed first and foremost, before even the priests, the pastors, if you will, we have listed the families because this has to be in order first and foremost in order for anything else to be in order. If this is in order, if the family is not in order, then... Serving in the ministry will not be in order as well. All right, let's go. Verse 2. Those who came with Zerubbabel were... Now, disclaimer, full disclosure. I'm going to pronounce these names the best I can. I'm going to butcher many of them, I'm sure. So just bear with me. Here we go. Jeshua, Nehemiah, Saraiah, Rielaiah. Mordechai, Bilshan, Mispar, you're saying, Pastor, you're going to read every single one of these? Yes, I am. Bigvai, Rehum, and Baana, the number of the men of the people of Israel. Verse 3, the people of Parosh, 2,172. The people of Shephatiah, 372. The people of Ara, 775. The people of Pahath Moab, the, of the people of Jeshua and Joab, 2,812. The people of Elam, 1,254. The people of Zatu, 945. The people of Zakai, 760. The people, verse 10, of Bani, 642. The people of Babai, 623. The people of Asgad, 1,222. The people of Adonikam, 666. I wish it weren't 666, but anyway, <laughs> let's not read too much into verse 13. The people of Bigvai, 2,056. Verse 15, the people of Adin, 454. The people of Atar of Hezekiah, 98. The people of Bezai, 323. The people of Jorah, verse 18, 112. The people of Hashum, 223. The people of Gibar, 95. The people of Bethlehem, 123. Let me stop at verse 22 and just mention one thing before you fall asleep. What if your name was in this list? Oh, 
That would be a game changer, wouldn't it? You would read this list with great interest just to come up to your name. You know, it's akin to when you see a photo, a group photo, and there's like maybe 10, 20, 30 people in that photo. Who are you looking for in that photo? Can we talk? Let's be honest, all right? Okay, so now verse 22. The men of Netophah, 56. The men of Anothoth, 128. The people of Asmaveth, 42. The people of Kirjath Arim, Chephira, and Biroth, 743. The people of Ramah and Gebba, 621. The men of Michmas, 122. The men of Bethel and Ai, no relation to Aea, 223. The people of Nebo, 52. The people of Magbish, 156. The people, verse 31, of the other Elam, 1,254. We're almost there. The people of Harim, 320. The people of Lod, Hadid, and Ono, 725. The people of Jericho, 345. The people of Sana'ah, 3,630. The priests, now verse 36, the sons of Jediah of the house of Jeshua, 973. The sons of Imr, 1,052. The sons of Pashur, 1,247. The sons of Harim, 1,017. The Levites, verse 40, the sons of Jeshua and Kadmiel of the sons of Hodaviah, 74. And then the singers, verse 41. The sons of Asaph, many of the Psalms, which are songs, were written by the sons of Asaph. And they are in even Asaph himself, 128. The sons of the gatekeepers, verse 42. The sons of Shalom, the sons of Atr, the sons of Talmon, the sons of Akub, the sons of Hatita, and the sons of Shobai, 139 in all. Not bad, huh? We're almost there. (laughs) We made it to verse 42. But before we go any further, there is something I think that would be good if I uh, pointed out. And it's not something that I think is easily seen at first read. And again, it has to do with the why. Here's the question. Why did God deem it necessary to include all of this detail, all of these names, all of these numbers in the pages of Scripture. I believe the reason is that God notices. And I'll explain what I mean by that. Not only does God notice, He also remembers them. Now think about this. These are the ones who left, took a great step of faith, took a great risk, made this journey which in and of itself was very dangerous to go back to Jerusalem to begin not just the work, the hard work, the hard work. And we're going to see when we get to the end of the chapter, when they get there, there's almost this astonishment at the condition of the temple there in Jerusalem. When we get into the book of Nehemiah, can't wait. We're going to see that they were very discouraged because it was just so overwhelming. Reminds me when you first... (laughs) started the work on this building. 
it was really overwhelming. I mean, there were times where I honestly, and I've shared this, I've been very candid about it, and uh, God gets all the glory, but I, I just, I would, I would say to myself, what did we do? <laughs> what did we get ourselves into? <laughs> this is, this is so overwhelming. There is so much work. It is in such a state of disrepair, and it just seems so monumental. And there is that discouragement that sets in. And these are the people, by their names, who left, who took the step of faith, and God wants to notice them. God wants to remember them. So much so, did you know, there's actually a book of remembrance. Here's our other 316, Malachi 316. It says, Then those who feared the Lord spoke to one another, and the Lord listened and heard them. So a book of remembrance was written before him for those who fear the Lord and who meditate on his name. You know what that means? That means if we, as believers in the Lord and followers of the Lord, fear the Lord and meditate on his name, meditate on his word, our names are written not just in the Lamb's book of life, they're written in this book, this book of remembrance. What's a book of remembrance? It's a book of remembrance. I know that's profound, but it's a book to remember the names of those who feared the Lord, those who trusted the Lord, those who served the Lord. Now, we know to be true that the name is the nature. And I want to talk just a little bit about the nature of the names. Throughout the Old Testament, we see this with names like Isaac, pronounced in Hebrew Yitzhak. In my native tongue of Arabic, it's Yitzhak literally means laughter. And you know the the nature of his name was that it was laughable that Abraham at age 100 and Sarah at age 90 would have a son, a biological son. A son would be born to a 90-year-old woman. And when Abraham said to his wife Sarah, God has appeared to me and told me that one year from the day, We are going to have a son. And she laughed. (laughs) That's really good, honey. That's really funny, honey. And so that's what he was named. Literally, laughter. If I said to you in Arabic, Anna yithak alikum, I'm saying that, that's not actually very nice. I'm saying I'm laughing at you. I should say I'm laughing with you. (laughs) Maybe I'll say that. Anna yithak, yitzak, Isaac, Laugh, I'm laughing with you. Ma'akum. It literally means laughter. The name is the nature. My name in Arabic, Wahid, is the nature of who I am. Wahid in Arabic means one. The number one. The numbers one through five are wahid, tanein, talata, arba, khamsa. So my name, <laughs> I mean, it's pretty cool, right? Literally means number one. So, uh, <laughs> I mean, that's because I was the firstborn, number one born son. In the Arabic Bible, wahid means when referring to the only begotten son, al-wahid, al-wahid, the only one, the only begotten son. So the nature 
of the name is that the name is the nature. Now, what I want to talk about here is that these names that we just read through that boring list, and there's a few more to come, by the way, was actually the practice of the day when not only would the Jews name their... In fact, they wouldn't even name them right when they were born. They would actually wait until they saw what the personality of the child was before they would name them. Now, I have two sons, Elias and Levi, and the name is sort of the nature, because Elias means the Lord answers prayer, and Levi, the name uh, that also has uh, meaning. And But if we would have waited to see what kind of their you know, personality was before we named them accordingly, we probably wouldn't have named them Elias and Levi. We probably would have named them Search and Destroy, because that was more the nature of what... what, what. I digress. Now, they gave them these names, and when they were in captivity, they gave them Persian names. They gave them Babylonian names. When we get to the book of Esther... That's not her name. That was her given name, a, and actually a Persian name. When we get to the book of Daniel, in like probably 20 years from now, by the time we get there, but when we get to uh, Daniel, we're going to read about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Those are Babylonian names that were given to them instead of their Hebrew names. It's interesting, and I, I just want to share this because I think there's something to it, but one commentator noted the meaning of some of the names that we just read, and it kind of gives you an idea of who these people were. I mean, they're, they're gnarly names on the pages of our Bible, but they're named that for a reason. So let me just give you an example. Parash means flee. How would you like to be named flee? <laughs> Shephatiah means Yahweh has judged. Arah means wild ox. Zakai means either pure or it's a shortened form of Zechariah. Bani is a shortened form of Baniah, meaning Yahweh has built. Babai means the pupil of the eye. Asgad means Gad is strong. Adonikam means my Lord has arisen. How cool is that one? Adin, I don't want to get into this one, means voluptuous. Let's move on. Atur means lefty, probably left-handed. And so the name is the nature. Bezai is a shortened form of Bezalil, and it means in the shadow of God. Jorah means autumn rain. Hashum means (laughs) broad nose, which probably means that he had, well, a broad nose. And then Gibar, lastly, means strong man. Doubtless, he was a very strong man. We love the insight Pastor J.D. brings to this series as he digs into the book of Ezra. We hope you've learned a lot, but more than that, we hope that this radio program helps to draw you closer to Jesus. Prayer is very important to us here at In Spirit and Truth. We want you to know that we continually pray for our listeners. We'd like to invite you to be praying with us as this powerful ministry goes out over the air. Pray for the Spirit to work in the hearts and minds of the people who will hear Pastor J.D.'s message and pray that we will always seek the Father's will for this program. 
If you enjoyed today's message and want to hear more from Pastor J.D. Farag, find us online at InSpiritAndTruthRadio.com and click Listen at the top of the page. We have so many ways for you to connect with us, including our Facebook and YouTube pages, where we'd love to have you join the conversation. Pastor J.D. also has a convenient way for you to stay connected. Yes, I do, Josh. You can download the In Spirit and Truth mobile app on any device and listen anywhere, anytime. Our app includes our studies through the Bible, book by book, chapter by chapter, and verse by verse, as well as our Bible prophecy updates. Many are finding the mobile app to be very helpful in this fast-paced world in which we live. To find the link to our app, you can go to InSpiritAndTruthRadio.com. Thanks, Pastor J.D. That's all the time we have for today, but be sure to join us again. May your day and week be blessed as you continue to grow in spirit and truth. With your will, holding me true.